everyone, I'm Ben. I am the location pastor at the River Church Davison. Uh, thanks so much for checking out one of our messages today. Uh, we'd love to connect with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97000. Or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the River Church. So glad you're here. Hi, everybody in the balcony. I can't see you. There's staring lights right in my face, but I'm trying. There you are. All right. Welcome. Just so glad you're here. And welcome, everybody, online. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. I I do want to encourage you. um, This Saturday, uh, we here at our Waterford location have been doing this a long time, something called Trunk or Treat. And it's not just something we do because we've always done it. It's something that we do because it, it really is a way that we reach out to our community. Uh, right now, uh, we have two times, or yesterday, we had two times. Two o'clock, you could sign up for two o'clock or four o'clock. And last night, I got a text at uh, nine o'clock saying both those times are completely sold out, and, um, which is really cool. So they're like, what do you want to do? I said, well, open up three. So we're going to open up three. So now we're going to have two, three, and four. Um, that's over 800 people uh, signed up at two. Over 800 people signed up at four, and I bet we're going to get over 800 people signed up at the three. So it's a really, it's not a little thing. We get to reach out to many people. For some, this is the only time they are connected with the church. It's the only time they walk in a church building. We get to care for them and love them. And so I want you to know, church, this isn't a staff event. We can't carry it. We need you. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, with your donations of candy, uh, we try to estimate how many bags of candy we will need for just this location. Uh, that estimate is 800 bags of candy is what it will take. And uh, you're like, that's a lot of candy. Yeah, that's a lot of candy. But there's a lot of kids that we minister to. We also want to have 75 trunks out there. Uh, and Saturday looks to be really, really nice. It's like 60 degrees. Uh, so it's going to be beautiful. That means more people will come. So I just want to ask, if you haven't, if you're not serving, I'd, I'd ask you to serve. I'd ask you to think about, hey, do a trunk this year. I know some of you, it's out of your comfort zone. You don't like to decorate. You don't have to decorate. Just bring your car, all right? Just hit it with a hammer. It'll decorate. It's fine. And, uh, and uh, don't really do that. Um, but just come. We, we need about 30 more trunks is where we're at. So I'm going to ask you to sign up. We want to... Our goal is to do this really well, and every year we have around 75 trunks that uh, we get to serve the kids uh, and the community, and so I want to I ask you, think about serving this year. Think about coming out and taking a few hours and, and uh, doing up a trunk and loving kids, and uh, it's a great ministry uh, that we have. Now, you may be saying, but, but uh, I'm kind of new around here. I'm not a member nor am I. We, we don't have members. We have people who are saved, baptized, added to the church, and let's go, let's serve, and love people. That's what we do, all right? If you want to be a part of that, all you got to do is jump online, click on the serve tab for Waterford, and then uh, that will come right to us, and we'll get a hold of you, but would love for you to do that. All right, Matthew chapter number five. We are in our Sermon on the Mount series. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus preaches this amazing sermon that we get to hear and to read and to study. It's in the book of Matthew. Uh, It's chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. 
Uh, our goal uh, from the River Church is to teach the entire Sermon on the Mount. It is going to take 36 weeks, we believe, to really walk through that thoroughly. 36 weeks. You may be going, well, well here's what we're going to take four years to do that. Last year, we preached on the Beatitudes, and we used October and November, those nine weeks, and we preached on the Beatitude to give us the base of the Sermon on the Mount. This October and November, we're going to preach the, the rest of chapter five, then look at next year, we're going to preach chapter six, and the year after that, for October and November, we're going to preach chapter number seven. It's amazing, the sermon, that when you read it, it takes about 15 minutes to read, but each Verse is so full, and uh, it is amazing, God's Word. And so we're going to study that. For the Sermon on the Mount, just to give you a base if you're new, we taught on the Beatitudes. That begins this sermon where Jesus sits on a mountain and begins to teach people. He teaches them the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are this blessing, and what Jesus is doing is he is speaking, he's saying, this is what the inner character of a true believer looks like. It is countercultural, and he says, blessed are those who are poor. And he was saying, only those who know they need a savior. Blessed are those who mourn. Only those who mourn over sin. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are starving for righteousness. Jesus lays out what it looks like to, to have this inner character to be a true follower of Jesus. In the last two weeks, we've begun to study the rest of chapter 5. In verses 13 through 16, it talks about if, if you are a follower of Jesus. And I'm, some of you in here, maybe you don't know. Can I tell you? I'm so happy you're here. I want you to know that. As you're trying to figure out what you believe, I want you to know there's a church here that is so glad you're here and we love you and care for you, and we want you to keep seeking and keep looking and going, hey, who is this Jesus? But here you have salt and light, and it says, if you are a believer, this is what you do. You're salt and light. You impact the community around you. You impact your work. You impact the school. You impact, and, and you bring the light of Christ to people. So in verse 17, we start what I would consider the, the, the next point of the sermon, Jesus sits on this one point. See, Jesus goes on to make a statement over and over and over again. Jesus says this in, in verse 17. He says, for I say to you, or truly I say to you. For the rest of chapter 5, Jesus wants to change the mindset of those listening. So he calls out, he says, hey, I know you have heard it this way, but I say to you. I know somebody said this, but I say to you. And he doesn't do it a couple times. Look at chapter 5, verse 17, I say to you. Verse 20, verse 22, verse 26, verse 28, verse 32, verse 34, verse 39. Not done yet. Verse 44. Every time it's like this new part of the sermon where he says, you have thought, you have heard that things are this way. But I say to you. See, what I believe Jesus is doing is Jesus is pointing out a new way to think. And this is a touchy subject in our culture because we go, nobody tells me how to think. Go to, go to college, go to a campus and go, hey, Jesus tells us how to, you can't tell me how to think, Jesus does. 
And here, Jesus says, there is a way that you have been thinking. I want to pull you out of that because there's a new way, a true way. There's a way I want you to see things. And I hope for the next couple of weeks that for, for me, for you, that there are things that we've been cemented in. There are things that we think that God will open up our eyes and he'll pull us out of that cement to see how he truly wants us to think. He is going to deal with some big issues that that are still kind of, sort of relevant today. The rest of chapter 5, next week we're going to deal with this thing called anger. Maybe relevant. The week after that we're going to deal with lust. No amens there, okay. (laughs) Then divorce. Then our word, then retaliation, and then at the end of chapter 5, he's going to deal with, we're supposed to love people who punch us in the face. Oh, real fun. It's coming. But what Jesus is doing is says, you've heard this, but I say, he wants to clearly show us the truth, that there is a new way to think. In Matthew 5, verse 17, we're going to read 17 through 20 in a second, but the first couple words says this, do not think. If you have the old classic KJV, it says, think not. Have you ever asked yourself this question, maybe outwardly, what are you thinking? Anybody in here? Times that you did something, said something, Hit your finger with the hammer, whatever, any of those times that you just look at yourself and go, what are you thinking? It was when you're driving, something on the phone, something at work, what are you thinking? Now, I told a couple of illustrations about times in my life where I was like, those were what were I thinking moments. So in between the gatherings, I went to my wife and I said, hon, do you know of any good moments in my life where you were like, what are you thinking? You know, it's a pretty brave thing to go to your wife and say, do you have any of those things? She reached in her purse, pulled out the book. (laughs) Which chapter? Right? She's like, so she, you know, brought out one. I was like, yeah. mm -hmm, mm -hmm." One time uh, when I was 19, I was was dating my wife. I was serving in the church here as a youth leader, and they had an all-nighter. And so I stayed to the all-nighter till 4 a.m., and then I was like, you know what would be really good? It's a Friday night. I could drive up north. My wife lived up in the Thumb. I was a 19-year-old. She was 17. And um, it's not that big of an age. Relax, all right? Uh, so um, I don't know where I'm at now. Totally derailed. It's off. It's off. So I, was, so I said at 4 a.m. as I was serving the Lord in the church, helping out teenagers, what if I drive up north, I'll, I'll go see Laura for the weekend, and, and um, I'm going to do that. So at 4 a.m., I left the all-nighter, got in my car, and started driving up north, and it was two hours. About 10 minutes into that drive, I went, what are you thinking? And then I went and stopped at McDonald's and bought a coffee. I'd never done that before, and that was before they had the, it will burn your face off thing on the side of the cup. So I drank that. It burned my whole mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I got about 15 minutes out. I stopped, opened up the door, threw up all over the ground because I was sick as a dog. I was sick the entire weekend, didn't get to see her at all. What were you thinking, right? Bad decision. We have many of those moments. What were we thinking? 
Even with our, our children. Do you ever tell your children, no, you're not going to think. I don't want you to think what I think you're going to think. You ever do that? Don't even think about going over there. Don't even think about doing that. You, you, you call it out because you know what's being thought of. And I tell you just that silly illustration because Jesus comes right at what we're thinking. He knows our hearts. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're thinking in the church seat right now. And he knows what you're thinking when you're all alone in your house by yourself. He knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. And Jesus loves us so much, he, he confronts that. He wants a new way, a new life. And here in this passage, he teaches us to think a new way. So let's pray and we'll dive into the scripture. Lord God, I pray for this morning. I pray you use it for your honor and your glory, Lord. Lord God, may I rightly divide the word of truth and may, may we hear your truth. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, or verse 17, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a heavy passage. I want you to know that studying this week, it was like my notes are almost doubled from what they normally are. As I, I study, and many times I'll go to a commentary and read a chapter, and in this passage, the, the, some of the commentaries were like three chapters just on this one passage. It, it is heavy, and, and so my goal is to help explain clearly what Jesus is saying. So the first point to make this, I just try to make it as clear as I can, is I think Jesus says, what do you think about me? What, what do you think about Jesus? See, in 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. Jesus, as he talks to the people, he knows their hearts. He knows that as he is teaching, see, people are coming from miles around to hear Jesus. Jesus is speaking like no one else, the Bible says. Jesus is speaking with authority. Like what he is saying, it's so much different than what the religious leaders are saying. So people are intrigued. They're interested. They're like, what, what is happening? But they have this doubt. See, Jesus comes, I don't want you to think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Well, what is he talking about? The law, what is that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's usually considered the law. The books of the law, the prophets. In the Old Testament, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets, just the ones that are longer in, in, in passage, the ones that are shorter in passage. When Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the scripture. He's talking about the Bible. And so here, Jesus is saying, hey, 
I don't want you to think that I've come to abolish what the Word of God says. See, the Pharisees were saying, well, Jesus, he, um, he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's breaking the law. Jesus, we, we have this hand-washing ceremony. He didn't do that. Jesus is hanging out with sinners. Can't do that. Jesus is talking to women. Can't do that. Jesus went to the temple and he flipped over tables. He is breaking the law. And what the Pharisees have done, they had added to the law of Christ. They had added to the, the, the law of the Old Testament. They were making up things. And so they were trying to pin on Jesus that Jesus is a break. He, Jesus is a radical and he is not about the Old Testament. He is not about the Bible. So what does Jesus do here? Let me change your thinking, everybody. And Jesus comes and he says, I am not, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. So the simple point here is that I want you to know that I read, Jesus is pro-Old Testament. I want you to see the words of Christ. Jesus is pro-Old Testament. So much so that when you read verse 18, he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, what he's pointing out there, the beginning of this iota was pointing to the, the, the smallest letter, I believe, of the Hebrew language. Somebody did a study and there's like 66,000 of them in the Bible. And then he said, and then the little jot, that's the little adding to the letter. You can't even count all those things. Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to know, you know the word that we have, the scripture? All of it. All of it is true. Every truth that the Bible says, everything that the Bible says is going to come to pass, will One man said, everything that has been said by the prophets is going to be fulfilled down to the minute detail, and it will hold and stand until this absolute fulfillment has been entirely carried out. Here Jesus makes his stand on the Bible. He says it's all true. And this is a struggle in the church today because many people are picking and choosing what parts of the Bible they want to use and what parts they don't. And Jesus is going, I want you to, you read the Old Testament, it's, it's all true. You, you need to know it, you need to see it. Because there are people who go, oh yeah, I follow Jesus, except they don't follow his creation. I follow Jesus, but... They're, they're, I'm not in with this, or I don't really believe Abraham did this. So one man said, if we say that we do not believe in the account of creation or in the, or in the Abraham as a person, if we do not believe that the law was given to God to Moses, but we think that it was just a very clever bit of Jewish literature produced by a man who was a good leader, If we say that, we are in fact flatly contradicting everything our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said about himself, the law, and the prophets. I want you to know Jesus is saying how important the word of God is. It's not kind of, sort of. 
It's not something we choose. Jesus didn't come and go, I'm kind of a part of that. Jesus goes, oh no, there are people that say, I am not with this or I've come to to make a new religion. Nope, I've come to show everything that was said is true. That's what Jesus did. That's the thinking he's showing them. And Jesus goes on further and he says this, it's all about me. Right? John 5.46, if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Luke 24.27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. John 5.39, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus here says, hey, it's about me. When you read the important Old Testament, and please understand the important Old Testament, you're going to see how it points to Christ. You're going to see, as he goes on to say, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill what the scripture says. This past week, Sunday, um, after, after our gathering, every fall I take a, uh, take a little golf trip. It's a little two-and-a-half-day golf trip. In two-and-a-half days, we play 90 holes of golf. It is wonderful. Never get angry at all. Never. And uh, if you played golf, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, we played Sunday after church. We played 18 holes. Uh, we get in the car, and we head down just south of Cleveland, um, hoping it will be a little warmer down there. And so we stop, stay the night, play 36 on Monday, 36 on Tuesday, and leave at 6 o'clock and get back at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's a wonderful, wonderful trip. So we got done golfing on Monday, or on Sunday night, and we all got in the car to head, head down for about a four-hour drive. We had a van, we had a truck, the truck was full, there were a bunch of guys in the van, and there was a guy, there was 12 of us that went, new guy, he's never gone, doesn't really know, I, I, I don't know him, and, um, and um, <clears throat> it's the first time I've ever seen him before, and he was driving down, so he was by himself. So I hopped in the car with him, and him and I took a ride four hours down. So we just began to talk, to share uh, pretty neat things. His, his wife used to be a student in my youth ministry, and he attends one of our other locations. And, and so we just started to talk and had great conversation, and he hung out with the guys on Monday and Tuesday. And, and then we got done golfing, and we jumped back in his car and had a four-hour drive back. And we got into the car, and he said, Jay... He says, I think this trip is going to change my life. One, he said, I I didn't know guys could get together, play golf, and not get drunk. He didn't know. He's like, you guys can go. You don't drink. You just have fun. You you play golf. You get mad. You get happy, you know. And he's like, "This, this was just amazing to get together with some guys and to have fellowship. And it's great. He said, but I got a bunch of questions. And I said, I've got four hours, let's go. (laughs) And began to ask these beautiful questions. Figure out where he's at. He's like, Jesus, I'm in with that, but what about the Bible? And he began to ask me about the Bible. What about it? And so we walked through some of the things, how the Bible is so amazingly preserved by God. 
The word of God is incredible and is for us, and God has given it to us. And I got to, again, just it was crazy. I got to talk to him. Like, it's amazing. The Old Testament, what it does is it tells about Jesus. And so he's like, so, so the Jewish people believe the Old Testament, yes, but they don't believe he's the Messiah. I'm like, no, but we can see here, 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 here. It all points to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing with these men and women on the side of the mountain. He's saying, listen, I've come to fulfill this. As the Old Testament talks about the high priest, I'm the high priest. As the Old Testament talks about the offering, I'm the offering. The sacrifice, I'm the sacrifice. As the one talks about the the serpent, right, held up, look. I want you to see it all points to me. Starting in Adam and Eve and talking about the heel and the serpent. This points to me. Luke 24, 44 says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It all points to Jesus. And maybe my favorite quote I will read you today is this. That Jesus, he did not come simply to teach righteousness or to model righteousness. He came as divine righteousness. What he said and what he did reflects who he is. And on the ride home, I got to talk with this man about Jesus. And we began to talk about other religions and, and asking, well, is, there, is he the only way? What about this? What about this? We began to talk about in the, the Quran that, that, um, that Jesus is there. And he asked, why, why would Jesus be there? And I said, because Satan would love for you to just like Jesus. Satan would love for you to just think Jesus is a good dude who says good things. Even in our, in our culture, it's okay to walk around and go, I like Jesus, he's good, he's kind, he was a prophet. But Jesus is Savior, King, Lord. And Jesus came and he died on the cross that we may have eternal life. And unless we accept him as Savior, not as the good guy or somebody we like, but if he is the Lord of our life, that's what's transforming. So to know truly who Jesus is. So here Jesus in verse 17 and 18, he talks about, what do you you think about? Let me tell you who I am. And then verse 19 says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So here, it talks about the law. What do you think about the law? The New Testament tells us about how important the law is. The New Testament talks about in Galatians 3.24, it says the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Other translations said the law is our tutor or our schoolmaster is what the King James uses. And it points to what the law is, the truth. It takes us to school. It takes us 
to the teacher. That's the purpose. The law is to be this mirror. See, when we have the, the, the law and the Ten Commandments, what we do, we look into the law and we see ourself. And when we see ourselves, we see we fall short. You look at the Ten Commandments, you see the first four commandments, what do they do? They say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And we see that and we see, I'm in need of a Savior. The last half of the Ten Commandments, what are they? Love people. So many times I love myself first. And here Jesus talks about the law. The law reveals who we really are. Romans 7, 7 says it like this. It says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What the law does, it points us to his truth. It shows us that we fall short. And in falling short, if we'll only see that we are poor, right? That we are poor in spirit and nothing, and we're not good enough to get to God. The law points us to that. The law reveals the penalty for sin. For the wages of sin is death. One man said, one pastor I listened to, he said, the law is like a curb. It, it keeps us out of trouble. It keeps us from going off-road. The law is a guide. See, what has happened in so many churches is we've started to take the Bible and its truth and how it tells who Jesus is and what is right and wrong. We've started to take that lightly. And as one man said, following Christ is not simply following subjective inner impulses. It involves knowing what he desires. We need to be in touch with the teaching of God's word as to the nature of his righteousness. See, if we are not in tune with God's word, we really think our inner self is going to lead us to God's truth. That God's word is so important. A few weeks ago, I taught on 1 John chapter 2 and this passage of scripture has just really become important to me the last couple of weeks. In 1 John chapter 2, it talks about taking the steps of maturity in our walk with Christ. So I began to pray it. I began to pray it over me. I began to pray it for my son. I began to pray it for you. I texted the deacons two weeks ago and go, hey, can we just be in prayer for the church that there will be this, these steps of maturity talks about the step of maturity of having your sins forgiven, to, to, that there'll be those who are saved. But then it talks about that next step in verse 14 in 1 John. It says, I write to you because you are strong. Why are they strong? The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. These steps of maturity and growing in the Lord is we become strong when what? We know the word of God. And when we know the word of God, it gives us the strength and the wisdom and discernment to take the right steps. So here the scripture says, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments 
and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Who will be called great in the kingdom? Those with big churches. Those who use their gifts and show them off. Who will be great? It says, those, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness is when we come under the word of God. We come under his truth. Now, this, for me, leads me to many questions, and it does you, and that's why, ready, side note, be a part of a growth community. It'd be a great week to be in a growth community this week because you have to ask, so what laws are we talking about? And so just a second, we could go down law, because some of you have read like Leviticus, and you're like, what, what about that one? We don't follow that one. Why, why about that? What is this? So scholars usually put the law into three categories. One, there's the moral law which is really based on the Ten Commandments. That's why in the New Testament, when they ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor like as yourself. This love, this moral law, then there is the judicial law. When you begin to read the laws for Israel, In the Old Testament, with Israel, there is a time and a specific place for the Israelites. They have laws that apply to them. They're the judicial law. And then you have the ceremonial laws. What the ceremonial laws were, they were to show the structure of what worship looked like. So that was the tabernacle and the sacrifice and all of those things. And so when we look at that, right, we believe Jesus has fulfilled the law of ceremony. We believe that Jesus, right, there needs to be no more sacrifice because the sacrifice in the Old Testament was all to point to the true sacrifice of Jesus. It was all to point to Christ. It was all to point to there's only one sacrifice. There's only one righteous that can die for sin, and it is Jesus. And so we follow the law. We know that the judicial law was for that time and that place. And the ceremonial law is what Christ has fulfilled. But we still see the law of Christ, the truth, the the moral law that we're to come under. Those of us who know Christ, to, to come under that. Now some of you are sitting out there, and a pastor described it like this. I think it's great. He said, some of you are sitting out there and you're Larry Legalist. You're sitting out there going, "Mm mm-hmm, preacher, pastor, these people need to shape up. See that one over there? I know them. And and we have this judgmental, and we, the only reason we do things to try to follow what God says is because we think we can gain approval by God and gain approval by people. And so you become Larry Legalist, and it's all about you and, and this pride, and look at me what I do. And then what normally happens, you begin to add things to the law. Well, I don't have a TV in my house. I'm better than them. Radio, I don't ever turn it on. 
I don't do this, I don't wear that. And when you begin to add to the law, the next verse, Jesus deals with that because the Pharisees were the same way. That's how they looked at Jesus. Jesus, look what we do. We tithe on our mint. There's a part where the Pharisees go, where there was the Old Testament in their tithe, and so they had mint like the leaves, and they'd be like, I count my 10 mint leaves. I pull one, and I tithe that. I am godly. And it was all a show. They were prideful and sinful. And so it's, this isn't a sermon to go, hey, look at me, who I am. That's not what this is about. This is about humbly coming to the Lord and go, man, I am broken in need of a Savior, and I'm so thankful Christ died for me and took my sin upon the cross. But then <clears throat> we don't want to be Louis the Lawless either. Meaning, there are some that go, see, Christ paid for it all. He died on the cross. I'm good. I don't need to be concerned with that because Christ forgave me of that. I can live how I have Christ. I am saved. I'm good. And it's not true. Because we know that sin hurts us. One said there's a widespread failure to maintain God's clear standard of righteousness in our own church in the name of grace and love and forgiveness and positive biblical teaching. Sin is dismissed or excused. We can't do that, church. We know Christ died because of sin. That's why we mourn over it. So Jesus here Changes our thinking. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of the law? And lastly, what do you think of the Pharisees? Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here, this is really jaw-dropping for them. The Pharisees, the scribes, they're the churches, they're the biblical, you know, they're, they're the people who follow all the rules and they, they do everything and they put on a show. And Jesus said, this is all artificial garbage. It is not from their heart. They are fakers. Matthew 23, 25 talks about Jesus comes and says, you clean the outside of your cup so everybody thinks you're good, but the inside... You know, you go into your cabinet to get a coffee mug. It's clean on the outside, but for some reason, three months ago, nobody cleaned the inside of it. It's just been sitting there for three months. It's gorgeous. You going to drink from that mug? No, I'd probably throw it away because I'm grossed out and don't want to deal with it anymore. Jesus goes, "This this is what they are. There's this outer fakeness. I want your heart. I want you to be real. I don't want you to be artificial. It's not about pride. It's about being humble. Luke 16, 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And what we'll read through the next, the rest of the chapters, the the Pharisees thought, well, I never laid a hand on that guy. But in my mind, I'm kicking his teeth in. 
They looked and goes, well, I never had an adult, adulterous relationship, but what I'm looking at and what I'm thinking and my mindset. And they would justify themselves saying, I'm clean. And Jesus going, no, you need, to, you need to think differently. I want you to see it is about the heart. So the people that are listening are hearing that it's not about their fake righteousness. Jesus is correcting the perversions that have been given to them. And he's saying, unless your righteousness is greater than them. For some, they could be thinking, well, how do I be greater than that? See, it's when we get in the place to realize our righteousness is in Christ. This isn't a sermon about you do good works and you'll get in. No, this is a sermon about our righteousness are as filthy rags and we need a savior. The law points that out that we can't uphold it and that's why Jesus came as what? The righteous one. And in Romans chapter number six, it says it so clearly. It says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Nope, I skipped down. It's chapter eight. I'm going to skip up one verse. It says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So here in Romans 8 verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law. What is this saying? The law shows we must be righteous. And Jesus coming as the righteous one went to the cross that his righteousness may be imputed on us because of who he is. See that car ride home. Gentleman started to talk about, he just said, Jason, how is it that if somebody like, would, would go into a school and, and be a murderer, if somebody would kill multiple people, how can they ever be forgiven? What is he asking? Who's righteous? How can they ever become righteous? There's no way that God can, can have them righteous. So I looked at him, and I said, you know, you're right. All sin has judgment. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. I said, you know what my sin's judgment is? Death. Because of what I've done, the payment for that sin is the wrath of God, and it will be poured out because God is just. Payment for sin is death. And I said, for me though, Jesus made the payment. For me, Jesus took my wrath, t- excuse me, took the wrath of God upon him so I didn't have, my, my sin still had payment. Jesus made the payment. And because of his righteousness and who he is, he took the payment. He took the wrath. So seeing this righteousness, it comes back to Christ. So I have one last quote, and I'll be done. Man said this, For to receive the grace of God 
in Jesus Christ means not only that my sins are forgiven because of his death for me on the cross, but also that I have been given a new life, new nature. It means that Christ is being formed in me, that I become a partaker of the divine nature, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. It means that Christ dwelling in me and that the Spirit of God is in me, the man who has been born again and who has divine nature within him is a man who is righteous and his righteousness does exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. He is no longer living a life of self and his own attainments. He is no longer self-righteous and self-satisfied. He has become poor in spirit, meek and merciful. He is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. He's a pacemaker, pure in heart. He loves God. This morning, I hope that you hear the word of God and it challenges your thinking. Challenges your thinking of who Jesus is. Challenges your thinking about his word. And it challenges your thinking about what true righteousness is. so glad Jesus didn't leave me and he came as savior and he offers to the world that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead you'll be saved our wonderful savior Jesus will you stand please